welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. An enthusiastic welcome to my guest today, Joyce Rupp, who is one of the best Christian spiritual guides writing today. Joyce is well known for her work as a writer, spiritual midwife, international retreat leader, and conference speaker. She is the author of numerous best-selling books. And on this episode of the Talking Joy podcast, we will be discussing one of her favorite books, The Cosmic Dance. The Cosmic Dance is an invitation to experience our oneness. And through powerful prose and poetry, Joyce makes it easy for us to experience our unity with each other and all of life. She calls us to live compassionately with each person and particle of creation, and she challenges us to hear the pain of the planet and to care for the earth and all of its inhabitants. Most of all, she draws us to fuller enjoyment and appreciation of life and its unbreakable goodness in ourselves and in everyone and everything around us. Welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm uh, beyond excited that you're joining me today to talk about one of your favorite books and one of mine, The Cosmic Dance. And I just thought I would read a little a little piece from your book. Uh, and it's you wrote here that it, it frightens you um, that more that we lose more touch with the earth and a less sense of our relationship with her and with her life giving qualities. You said we need to be with nature. When we are constantly indoors, we forget and fail to notice the wonders that lie beyond the closed doors. And you go on to say that if we ignore the beauty and the abundance of the earth, who will teach and inspire our children to learn from and appreciate the earth's goodness? And how will anyone realize the immense dance that unites us with all of life? Mm -hmm. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Talk about one of my favorite subjects. So <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah, you know, I, I'm so glad that you started with that, um, especially that last line about being concerned about children. I, I've thought about that so much and, and been so grateful when I've known of programs more recently with um, having children uh, plant gardens, you know, and, and become aware of that. But it really just takes me back to my own childhood. And, you know, I think it's true with all of us. We don't realize how much our childhood influenced us until we are older and we go, oh yeah, now I, now I see, you know, uh, especially if it's something, our childhood was a gift to us. And, you know, just growing up on a farm in Northwest Iowa really did it for me, you know, um, I don't know if you um, are interested a lot in that, but that really is, is what kind of has formed my life around nature. Uh, you know, I, I was just reviewing that knowing we were having this podcast and brought back so many happy memories. And I remember my older sister and I going out in the grove and making mud pies, you know, out of mud. I think we never thought twice about 
you know, all the sloppiness of it and the dirtiness of it or anything. And, and working in the garden with my mother and going out in the field and helping my dad when we um, harvested grain. And I get in those wagons with this dirty oats and crickets and locusts and all this stuff and spiders. I didn't think a thing of it. And I'm leveling the oats off and you come in and you just look like dirt itself. You're so, <laughs> it's so dusty. And, and, um, you know, my job was to feed the chickens when I was little, and then later to feed the cattle. I get up in the in the hay barn and throw down hay to them in the wintertime. And anyway, it was just such a natural integration of everything. I never thought like, oh, yeah, I'm one with all of this. It just was there for me. And uh, so it's just for me, it's just ingrained in me. And I, I always want to be careful. So I'm not, um, you know, like, lessening other people because they don't have that if they didn't have a childhood like that i can understand you know why that might not be there for them so that's that's a long thing to say about that but i no, just but the, the thing that i that i'm picking up on here is that it's not so much when people tell us how to be but we we actually do and witness it you know my mother was a good cook and i mm -hmm. she never told me what to do but i was sort of there in yeah. the kitchen all the time and I sometimes yeah. think how did I even know how to do that and it's sort mm -hmm. of I witnessed mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. sounds to me like on the farm you witnessed yes nature and 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 I also feel like there was a deep sense of presence in being that in right. that natural environment right yeah that that's really true and I I think it is just amazing even today you know I was with um some children uh, cousins of mine not too long ago and this little three-year-old you know he just picked up a piece of cardboard the size of a cell phone and he started talking into it and punching numbers in it and I thought you know nobody needed to tell him how to do that you know he just observed it and so yeah couldn't agree more about the children piece and a, and a lot of my listeners are young moms uh, because mm -hmm. I have led a lot of young moms groups over the years and uh, there's nothing more important than how how we teach our kids and especially about the earth. You know, one other thing I want to say about that, Pam, is I, I think it's inherent in us that we do have that connection with creation. Um, but then it can, it can be set aside. I was like three years old and I don't remember this, but my family told me about it, but you know, they, they would have company at night and I would come down the stairs and I'd sit, we had this windowsill in the kitchen and they would find me in there and I would be sitting there and they'd tell me, you know, I had to go back to bed. And I would say to them, I'm just here looking at the stars. You know, I was mesmerized by stars when I was little. And I, I thought, you know, that's a part of us. It's just there, you know, but then we lose it, you know, as, as we get older. But so I think, you know, if we just draw that forth from children, it's already there for them inside of them, I think. That, that all and that wonder is, mm -hmm. is so natural. And I agree. Yeah. Um, I have to personally have enough self-awareness to, to pause and stop myself. And, you know, you've been on my mind, obviously, leading up to our conversation today and I was out with friends last night for a friend's birthday and when I got home instead of just running into the house I stopped and gazed uh, up and I thought oh this is what Joyce is talking about uh, you know there's the big dipper and you know and, and then it you realize that perhaps that my little world and my little life and my worries or concerns yeah. or you know things that I have going on it seems so small when I when I remember the vastness of yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It really does give us perspective. You're right. Balances things out for us. So it sounds like as a child, you had this natural wonder and curiosity about, you know, I would almost say it seems like you maybe were having mystical experiences with, with the earth, you know, as, as far as looking at the cosmos. I think I did. And again, it's not anything that no, that's why I think it's inherent in children. I just, it was just such a natural part of me. One of my favorite memories, it sounds kind of crazy, but I think I must have been about maybe seven or eight. And, you know, we were pretty free then. You didn't have to worry about people coming in and snatching you and all that when you were a child and on the farm. And I remember waking up one summer morning and I had slept, I'd fallen asleep on the grass overnight and they just left me there. And I woke up in the morning and I was covered with dew. I mean, I was just soaking wet, everything, every part of me. And, you know, in what it, you know, as an adult, I went, oh yeah, this was, but as a child, it was just a wonderful feeling. I remember that thinking, oh, isn't this something overnight? I got all wet, you know, <laughs> and, um, and that kind of thing. And, and I have been also intrigued with seeds. You know, I think we had uh, grain fields on our farm and I, to this day, I am just marvel at what the potential that's in a seed and the wonder of that happens. So that's that's really been wonderful. So it's such a great metaphor, the seed for our own life journey. And I'm sure you've written about that, about yeah, you know, breaking through and, mm-hmm. and the growth mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and and seeing new life and and then the, the downside of it too. Yeah, yeah, I have. In fact, I think I almost every book I somehow rather get seeds in there in some way, the metaphor. I think my first introduction to you was through the cup, though, the cup of our lives. Oh, I think yeah. I went to a retreat a long time ago that somebody yeah. had. Yeah, the cup of our life. Yeah. And I lo- I use that a lot too about the pouring out and the Uh, in the the filling back up but um great metaphors Mm -hmm. you know one of my questions was when did you first notice this oneness with creation and obviously it was as a child Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and I also was going to say who were your teachers and it sounds like not only your parents but also preachers definitely definitely in in lots way and you know also the seasons of the year, I've often, you know, when I've spoken to different groups, if I like if I'm out in California, I say, you know, I love living in the Midwest because we have real strong four seasons here. And, and the seasons really teach me a lot, you know, autumn, autumn is a beautiful month, but it also really has a lot to say about transition and dying and letting go and winter's dormancy. You know, I have a good friend who always said uh, winter was her fourth favorite season. She didn't like winter, Um, but I have grown to be fond of winter because it's just a dormant time. And I, I think, we all need that dormancy, even though I think as Americans, we fight it because we want to be active. Um, but I've learned a lot from the, the cycle of the four seasons too. They have been my teacher. And uh, yeah, and you know, everything in nature, I think can be my teacher, really, um, not just as a metaphor, but the reality of what happens. You know, I recently saw a beautiful um, um, piece on the internet about an old forest and all the new growth that was happening from all the deadness that was in there. And I thought, oh, I just have to remember that in those times when I'm feeling like nothing's happening, you know, or 
I want this new juice to go on, you know, creative juice, and it's not there. And, you know, waiting it out and saying, yeah, something's going to grow from this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful teacher for me. And I would say, too, uh, there have been a lot of um, books, um, authors who have been my teachers later in life. Um, but early on, I'd say mostly nature was my teacher itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that inner voice, you know, I'd say this little thing, too. I went to a, a Catholic, a three-room grade school when I was out in the rural area growing up. And um, one of my teachers, that I just loved her, and she was so in touch with nature and, and life that she always said to us, you know, you can always talk to Jesus. He's, you know, he's your friend. And so, you know, I remember going out and feeding chickens and I would talk to Jesus all the time. It's like he was right there with me, you know. And, and what was, it got me in touch with this divine presence, whatever name, you, however we want to name. But I've never lost that sense that there's a love much larger than me and a presence that's always supportive of me. And it's, and especially I find that in nature that I, I can really connect quickly with that presence that's there. So well, you're speaking my language because I have had a similar experience mm. as a child and always found nature just this wonder but also this peacefulness about it and mm -hmm. and also always knowing that there was this presence yeah and I, I remember once I had this vivid memory of being out in my front yard and I felt so one with everything mm -hmm. and I was tiny I remember sitting with my legs crossed and there's this weeping willow tree and the grass and you know, it was like a beautiful day and I went running in the house and asked my mom all these questions yeah. and she didn't have the answers and <laughs> so frustrated and she said you have to trust in the mystery wow and I, wow. I'll never forget that and wow. but but there has always been that connection mm -hmm. um and, and and I think and maybe you've seen this in your work that often you know in my spiritual direction practice I'll find that people connect with yes. God in, in mm -hmm. nature, or they'll have these moments of mm -hmm. um, clarity and connectedness, or, you know, mm -hmm. I, even earlier this week, you, we had been talking a little bit about, you know, about this conversation leading up to it. And you mm -hmm. said to me that you were going out hiking yeah. or camping or something for a few mm -hmm. days and mm -hmm. then you would bring my questions with you. And I just loved that because I thought mm -hmm. she's getting her reset or her, you know, you're filling <laughs> right up. Yeah. 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 You know, I want to go back just a little bit to what you said, um, you know, about the peace in nature. The other thing that I found, and I found this very young is a great respect for nature. Cause I think, um, you know, I don't want to romanticize nature in the sense that nature can be very difficult. And, you know, on, on the farm, we really had to respect, especially summertime, well, wintertime too with blizzards, but in the summertime, hailstorms and, you know, these straight winds that could come and destroy a crop just in a minute. And um, so I, I have a great respect for nature also. And that cycle that's there, you know, there's the beauty of nature and there's also the uh, destructive part of nature that then brings about new life after that, uh, you know, that those strong winds can, you know, push out this hot, heavy, humid weather we're having in Iowa right now, you know, eventually and have a coolness again. But I mean, so, um, and, and even the whole thing of creatures, you know, needing to kill other creatures for their food. And, and uh, so, 
so it's a wholeness there's a wholeness there in that cycle um yeah I'm glad I, you brought that up that it's not necessarily all about the feel-good part of it yeah yeah there is and and there's also a piece of it like i remember trying to raise like in a box in my bedroom when i was real little like uh, little robins like they had oh. i don't know they had fallen out of their nest or something mm -hmm. and i i went and i fed them for days and oh. i was so excited about it but i woke up one morning and it was so quiet in my room and i knew yeah that they were gone and it was so upsetting but what i understood was that there is a way for nature to take care of nature and that i didn't belong in that in that yeah. piece. Mm -hmm. I wasn't equipped for it. I didn't have the right tools. Or mm -hmm. that's a big lesson, but I think a significant one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Sort of that yin and yang of nature. Yes. And the other thing that I noticed was that you welcome each season versus resisting it, because you had said that someone, you know, yeah. winter was not their favorite, and sometimes we can resist a season. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. not our favorite, but you sort of welcome each one and what it brings. Um, yeah, I've, I've learned to do that. I didn't always do that, but I've learned in my aging life that it's it's really beneficial to welcome, you yes. know, because I find the goodness within it, the meaning yes. within it. Yeah. yeah, and the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that maybe uh, you could talk about the three ways that bind or tie you to the earth that you talk about in the book. Um, and yeah. the first one is that every part and parcel of who you are um, <laughs> was material uh, wants a piece of a star shining in the heavens. Yeah. You know, I, I speaking of teachers, I learned a lot from Brian Swim's um, work. And he was the first person I ever heard say that we were made of stardust. And that 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 was a real turning for me in in being connected with the larger world, the universe, the cosmos, and, and each individual, because, you know, what he was saying, you know, out of his, uh, his own cosmology and, and his own research and study, is that, you know, we are all made out of star, because the stars were these gases, and eventually, you know, the hydrogen, helium, all the gases came together and began forming particles. And then those particles eventually formed planets and Earth, of course, being one of those. And so we cannot be on Earth and not be, you know, composed of that stardust. And, and I love that thought that every single thing, no matter what it is, um, is composed of, of what was once a star. And and so it gives me, you know, more of a respect, you know, for, for everything that, that is there. And then um, I've, I've learned so much about breath and atmosphere and how, and this also, I just, I just love this notion that every, every in, a, in a couple of ways, every breath that I take, when it goes out, the carbon dioxide is going to be helping some vegetation somewhere. And we know right now how far that can travel because of the wildfires and the smoke. I mean, here in the Midwest, we have had gray skies for, for well, for a couple of weeks because of fires in Canada and in, in the West Coast. And, and so all that's traveling. And I think, you know, the next breath that I breathe out I mean, that could go to a tree in the rainforest in the Amazon, or it could go to a rice pad, you know, someplace in, in Japan. And, and then the oxygen I breathe in, wow, where did that come from? Where, what vegetation sent that out? And how did it come to me? And so that, that beautiful cycle 
of the breath, you know, in, in that particular way. Um, and the other part of it is, is because the atmosphere is formed around our planet, and that is, you know, it doesn't go flying off somewhere into the cosmos. So every breath that I breathe in, it sometime was breathed in by someone else. And um, I love that because somewhere I read, you know, gosh, we might be breathing in the breath of Socrates or, you know, some all these famous people that we think about. And, and you know, it's, it's just wonderful to consider that kind of thing. And so, so there's that, you know, the stardust and the breath. And the other one, and this was most recent for me, um, recent in the last maybe 15 years, and that's quantum physics. Um, because what quantum physics discovered is that, you know, nothing is just a solid piece. And like a stone, you know, I think, well, that's just an inanimate object, you know, I can kick it around or whatever. But actually, everything that exists is made up of these tiny infinitesimal particles. And these particles are called photons and they're little packets of light and they're moving all the time. And they, they don't know if they're moving like as a wave or a particle or however, but they know that they're there. And so, and the thing is that they can be attracted to other particles. And so that's actually how the atoms came to be formed. They began attracting to one another. And so, you know, so I think of myself and I think I'm just this individual, but I'm not really because I have this, all of these particles that are moving and they can move out and connect with another person or a tree or, you know, a, a bird or whatever. And, and so, you know, I'm never just a separate self. I'm always united in some way with others. And you know how this really helps me with compassion is, um, you know, I'll be driving on the freeway and somebody does what I consider something really stupid, you know, <laughs> and my first thought is, oh, you know, I want to call that guy a name or her anyway. But then I think, you know what, we are all made up of all these photons, these particles of light and heat. And wow, you know, I am one with that person. So look out, because when I call that person a name, I'm really calling myself a name too, you know, or I'm standing in line, you know, and getting impatient or just wherever I am and, and with nature too. And I think like yesterday I was walking and it was just the sweetest thing. There was this butterfly. I was going to look up and see what kind it was, but it had little, little patches of blue and parts of it. And it was almost like it was teasing me because I would walk a step and it would just fly just a foot away. And I'd walk another step and it'd fly another foot away. And, and I thought, you know, we are united here and what do you, you know, but it was just like, it was just almost like teaching me. Yeah. You know, we've got this little rhythm going here, mm -hmm. this little pattern. Um, and so, so that, that has been really marvelous to think about um, how, how we are composed of, of, of all those, those elements um, for us. How, so. how has this understanding changed the way that you are? Uh, you know, I think it, it's, I'm much more humble because of it. And um, I think I enter more into mystery because of it, because there's no way mind-wise I can grasp all of that kind of thing. And, and respect, I would say it has really drawn me to much more respect for, um, for all of life. And uh, I, you know, I operate very much out of, um, an interfaith basis and also um, 
a great care for the peoples of our planet, um, people who are rejected by a lot, people who are pushed on the margins. And I think it's been not just the teachings of my own religion and spirituality, but it's been really the teachings of physics that have taught me that, you know, we have this tremendous connection and what happens to part of us happens to all of us, whether we are, whether we can see it or not, it, we're going to influence one another. So that's, I really appreciate that question, Pam, because that, that's, that's been big for me. Do you think that that's why prayer is so powerful? Because you're talking about this energy and, you know, yeah. I've witnessed that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you have the power of it. And it's that same energy that we're sort of sending out. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I love, I love that. Um, because, you know, the program that I work with is called Boundless Compassion. And um, one of the things that we teach in there, it's actually, I wrote Boundless Compassion out of a Christian perspective, but I also have great appreciation for Buddhism. And so in part of our program, we teach loving kindness, which is really a Buddhist meditation. And we talk about the energy and love that we have within us and how we can intentionally send that forth to others. And I, I, I tell you, I've been in large groups, I mean, hundreds where we have done this quietly together, you know, sending this love forth to a person we're picturing. And that room is so still, I mean, and you can, you can actually feel that energy. It is so potent and, um, you know, how, that, that we're intentionally sending that forth from ourselves or receiving it from, from others. And it's, it's a very powerful thing. And it goes back to, you know, the, the quantum physics, because we're, we, we live in an electromagnetic field. All of us have one and inanimate objects have it too. And so when we're connected with that energy, we actually have a sense of like being within it. Um, if that, if that makes sense, but anyhow, I, I just, I've been enthralled with that. And that really is part of my morning prayer is I have, I have a whole list of people and I gather them and I just send forth that love from my heart out, out to them every morning. Yeah, I do the same thing. Uh, all <laughs> I, right, <laughs> I have a morning practice, and I and I do the same thing. And and I I have also witnessed the the power of that. Uh, and it's really it's we. I was with a very large group of women, and there was a mom who was at the hospital with her daughter, and she we we did this, and she sent a text and said, "Are you all thinking about me?" Wow, I can. Wow. She she had no idea. And, yeah. uh, and, and I just loved that because I felt like it was such a great affirmation for the group. Yes. Yes. I understood the power of it, but it was a great affirmation for everyone else to sort of, yeah. and you're right, the room drops mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When, yeah. you're, when you're in that place mm -hmm. with the group. It's amazing how we become one yeah. with an intentional good purpose mm -hmm. like that. I love that. You know, another way I think that people can understand is, you know, I've had the experience many times of I'm thinking about someone, I think I've got to call that person, I'm going to write that person. And I'm not kidding you in the very, I get an email and I look at the time and it was the very time that I was thinking about that person, you know, and making that connection. So again, it's that unseen energy and, and connectedness that we have. That's, that's just so wonderful. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you wrote a poem on, on ancestors, and, and I loved that um, for a couple of different reasons, but I'm thinking about that now because I'm wondering, too, you're talking about butterflies, about people who oh, have yeah. passed, 
yes. on, um, who are no, you know, no longer with us. And um, when we're energetically thinking about them, perhaps yes. Yes. You know, the, the cardinal shows up or they, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was a bunch of robins last night. Um, would you read that poem? Would you mind reading that? Have that handy? Calling uh, in the ancestors? Yes, let me just find it. Here it is. Okay. Ancestors. Come, ancient ones, original guardians of this. Come, the heart you wore as you stood on this hallowed land. You who easily tendered earth, holding her treasures with uncalloused care. Come, great ancestors of First Nations. Come, wise ones of American Indians. Come, first walkers of song lines in the outback. Come Mari of the long boats. Come shamans and healers, tribes of many language and color. Come teach us who have forgotten the mother who feeds us. Come tell us the ancient truths you knew so well. Breathe whispers of wisdom in hearts whose memories have lost the beauty of simple things and the wonder of unharmed landscapes. Come, dream dreams of hope in us. Stir in us songs of the seas and rivers, dance stories of reverence in our blood. Raise up a profound kinship in our souls. Guide us into strong circles of respect for everything inhabiting our world. Come, original guardians, breathe fire into our tame bones till we too stand strong, fierce in our determination to dwell on our beloved planet with gratitude as deep as yours. Oh man, I love that. Thank you. I want to tell you a little story about ancestors, um, if I can, that I think it connects with what we've said about energy and about our unity with this life and life beyond this life, too. Um, And I I have permission to share this story. So I was leading a women's retreat, a weekend retreat. And one of the meditations I did that weekend, it was uh, around uh, compassion for ourself. And so uh, uh, the meditation that I've developed is called the Four Guardians Meditation. And it's a time of, you know, just uh, preparing ourselves for a quiet um, space of prayer. And then um, we actually call in four ancestors. We call in one to be at our right side, one to come to our left, one to come behind us, and one to come in front of us. And so um, I was doing that because it's a very ancient custom and of, of the very tribes I've, I've named. And so anyway, I was, I was inviting them to do that. And so I, we did the right side, the left side. When it got to the back, call in an ancestor from the from behind you know just don't have anyone in mind just just be present and someone will come and all of a sudden this woman stood up and she was sobbing and she just ran out of the room and so I was startled and it was a this was a large group and I wanted to find her to see if she was okay and I never could that that it was this happened this Saturday afternoon and so um Sunday morning we concluded with uh, um, a liturgy, and and so 
um, I was hurrying, cleaning things up. And I, when I got to, into the chapel, there was just one seat left for me. And I sat down next to, next to one of the, women, the retreatants. And um, she turned to me and she said, and then I, I recognized her as a woman that ran out of the room. And she said, you probably wonder why I left the room. And I said, well, yes. And she said, well, would it be okay if I would send you an email and tell you? And I said, yes, I would, I would really appreciate that. And are you okay? And she said, yes, yes, I am very much okay. She said, it was, it was, it was an amazing experience. So about oh, three or four days later, she wrote to me. And she said that she had a, a two-year-old who had drowned and that she had felt responsible for this child's drowning. And this had happened 40 years ago and she had always blamed herself for this child's death. And she said, when I asked them to call in an ancestor to come and stand behind them, she couldn't get a sense of who that might be, but she felt strongly there was a presence and then all of a sudden she saw this child as a young adult and she knew in that moment that she was totally forgiven, that everything was erased. And that's what caused her tears. And she, when she wrote to me, she said, I will never be the same because of that moment. I know that this child was with me. And I just, I mean, and, and I've had other people talk about other kinds of experiences. And I think we are united, you know, we are connected. And, and that, was, that was so convincing for me personally that this, this really is, is something. That, so what a beautiful story of, of freedom and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I got goosebumps when you told me. And whenever I get goosebumps, I don't know, I feel like that's a sign that it, yeah. the story yeah. has such truth and depth. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, going back to the creation part of it, you know, because the our indigenous people, they had such a unity with with nature. And as we became more industrialized, we've just lost so much of that. And um, and now I think even more so, you know, just how much we're in front of these screens all the time, whether we're handheld or computer or whatever. And um I'm just so afraid we're going to get lost in the metallic world, and you know that um, we'll we'll forget what what our ancestors knew. So. Yeah, and I I worry about that too as a, as a mother of, of four kids and and some you know they grew up in this technology age and you mm -hmm. know I mentioned I was out for a friend's birthday last night and I'm I'm a big observer I can't help it but I I love watching people and and there was a cute younger couple at the table beyond us mm. and their interaction was so fascinating to me because they both had their phones out and I could see the one the boy flipping mm -hmm. through stuff but yet they were talking and laughing and yet it was the oddest dance I've ever seen wow wow of how they it just there's a whole new way of being and mm -hmm. yes and one and one of the reasons that we're talking today is about the earth and you know, this re-remembering mm -hmm. of, yes. of, yeah. of, you know, getting in touch with mm -hmm. cosmos and nature. And, um, and maybe that leads us a little, I don't want to move too far away from the ancestors, but, you know, people, because of being quarantined the mm -hmm. last year and a half, mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and several people that I've interviewed have said this to me that, you know, they'd be out in nature and all of a sudden the paths that they walked by themselves were flooded with 
people. And if you go in Pennsylvania to the Delaware Water Gap, you know, police horses yeah. blocking off because the parking lots are so full, which I'm so happy to see. Have yeah. you witnessed that also? You know, I have to admit that first of all, I was really upset by it because I have I have this trail around a lake that I do almost every day. It's about three mile trail. And I mean, it was always very pleasant, you know, not a lot of people. And pretty soon it was so crowded, honestly. And and it was obvious that there were people that hadn't been out in nature that much and they weren't like paying attention to nature. They were just out there because it was something to do. And, you know, I had to really work through that, you know, and just to say they have much right to be here as I do, and maybe something will happen for them. Um, and what I've noticed now that, you know, some of the restrictions have been lifted a bit here is that there are fewer people again. And so I think, did they, did they really just do that because there was nothing else to do? Or did they really see, I think that Maybe we need to teach people about what I call contemplative gazing or contemplative presence. Because if you just go out for a nature walk and you spend your whole time just yakking to somebody next to you, you're not gonna notice that little warbler in a tree. And, and you're not gonna notice that little turtle that just hatched and is trying to get across the path. And um, None of that's gonna be present to you. I mean, so yes, you got outside and yes, you breathed the air, but did it really, transform in any way I, I don't know if it did I, I'd like to hope so um, but I'm kind of a pessimist about that myself I'll be honest with you yeah no and I feel the same way I, I observe people a lot and there was a woman who you know walked by my house last night yak yak yakking with her phone up to her ear and I was like pick your eyes up from the sidewalk you're missing everything yeah um, and I think it was Holly Whitcomb that wrote in her new book about finding she yeah. wrote something about um, when we see things that are breathtaking, it's because they take our breath away. And so yeah. when I see things like the little turtle mm -hmm. or the, the creatures that you just mentioned, it takes my breath away. Yes. It brings me right back into the present moment, yeah. right here. I'm yeah. right in my shoes, right in my feet. Mm -hmm. And I often, you know, I, I might get thanks, you know, thank you for that. Thank you for letting yeah. me see that. Mm -hmm. So I do, I understand what you're saying. I feel the same way. Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, it brings you right back to the present moment because it really does. And it also instantly connects us with something more than ourself. It's like, oh, there you are here. I am. And now, Hey, we're, we're, we're relating here, you know, whether it's, I'm appreciating you, or I'm listening to you or whatever it might be. Or you were dancing with this butterfly earlier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we would have missed all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked a little about how I, that's so important to me. And maybe it was because my grandmother, when I was a kid would always say, get outside, get outside. <laughs> kids. Yeah. I sort of did that with my kids too. And yeah. Um, I realize now what a, what a gift that was. And I think that they're old enough now where they're starting to understand. Right. I heard my son the other day tell somebody that and he used to be like, oh, mom, you know, everybody has like whatever video games. And yeah. that I was annoyed. He said, but now I get it. Now I understand. Oh, um, oh, because when COVID hit, he would, they, yeah. the boys would go fishing mm -hmm. and you could go fishing before COVID and you could go fishing after COVID. So things felt to them Norm, yeah, that was normal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where you're talking about people being thrown outside that didn't see the see the, all of those little things mm -hmm. or maybe didn't mm -hmm. have that in place before. 
Yeah. So how do we introduce people to that? How do we get people excited to, uh, yeah. to see things through those eyes? Yeah. You know, I, going back, I think, first of all, I'll go back to childhood again. I think, you know, it was sometimes, and I so enjoy when, it, like yesterday when I was walking, I saw this young dad and he had his little boy in a wagon. He's pulling his wagon around that trail. That Well, that's a long three miles to pull a kid in a wagon. But, you know, this little boy was just enjoying it. And when I went past, I just said to the little boy, I said, you're so lucky to have a dad that's taking you out here. Um, but I, I just wonder, or, or sometimes they'll have them on their back, you know, if they're really small. And, and I think, so I hope that child, and I do believe that child is absorbing something right now, you know, from being out there. He's not being told it, but he's absorbing that. But I think sometimes we need to deliberately bring people into that and teach them that again. Um, and one of the ways I think to do it is to um, just that whole notion of mindfulness. You know, mindfulness about anything if people can be mindful and that's very difficult to do in our fast paced world today how to be quiet inside how to how to look and i often have with groups or individuals even i've used the five senses and i think if you can take pause and just what am i seeing what am i hearing you know, what am I smelling? What am I feeling? And if you really do that, you know, I used to, um, when I, I would do groups and I would teach more things about nature um, and using the five senses, I'd actually take, I think I wrote about this in the book, that I'd have them, I'd pass out, I'd do a raisin, a grape, and um, I think a little piece of apple. Yes. And I would say to them, you know, we have 10 minutes for you to eat this. And they'd look at me like, you know, I was out of my mind. And I'd say, no, we're just going to take the raisin. And I'd have them look at it and smell it and feel it and notice the color, but everything about it. And then I would say, don't just pop it in your mouth and swallow it down. You know, I'd have them chew it. And I wouldn't let them swallow it for about a minute. You know, it was a long time for them. And I do that with each, each thing. And it was that whole thing of savoring, you know, observing and savoring. And, uh, you know, I think if people can do that, we do that with newborns, you know, people look at that child and they savor that child, and they love that child, and they count all the fingers and toes. And I think if we can, we, we can expand that and do that, you know, in the larger pieces of our life. And, you know, I think the same way, and I've learned this from Buddhism, is like eating, you know, not just shoving down the food, but, you know, really tasting it and, you know, what is that like? And, uh, noticing the flavor and the smell and all that. And that's, that's, I've often said, you know, I, if I go out to lunch with someone and we're, again, we're just talking away, I forget even what I'm eating sometime, you know, so I miss that, miss that piece of it. But so I think, you know, helping people quiet down, teaching them how to pause, be attentive. Um, and, and it takes practice, you know, to do that. But that's, that's one of the ways. Another way that I think Trish, before you move on mm -hmm. from that, I just wanted yeah. to uh, highlight one of the people that did this exercise with you that you wrote about in the book. Yeah. Can you talk about her reaction about how she felt so connected to where the food came from? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. She because that our, that's where our brain can take us. If yeah. You allow yeah. It. it just it goes. It, it, well, we go back to where did this come from? Who who planted it? How did it grow the sun? And then who marketed that and who in the store? And, you know, and Thich Nhat Hanh's another author that I've liked. And he, he has he has this image of he said, um, 
the clouds are I the the clouds are made of ice cream. How does he see that the clouds are ice cream? I think is when you look at clouds, you're looking at ice cream. That's how he says it. And then he talks about the clouds rain. They rain on the grass. The cow eats the grass. The cow makes milk. The farmer gets the milk. The milk goes to the factory. The factory produces the ice cream. So he said, you know, really, there's ice cream in the clouds. It's, and it's that whole thing making a connection like that. Yeah. I'm sorry, and you were going to say the second way. Oh, the second way I think is really helpful. And I just the other day, I saw this beautiful, like just a two minute clip uh, on the internet about an old forest and it showed all the new growth in the forest. But I have loved um, internet programs and I don't watch a lot of television, but nature programs where, you know, you can learn so much about a part of the world that we'll never get to. And I remember seeing a beautiful, beautiful PBS piece on mothers of, of newborns, creatures, and how these creatures, these beautiful maternal instincts of, of mothers, whether it's a moose or a fox or whatever, taking care of their young. And, and it's so beautiful to see. And again, you just feel that, I feel that connection when that happens. And so I think, you know, if people are more wedded to their electronic devices, they can go, that's another way I think that they can do that if they can't get out into nature itself, so. My responsibility as a parent, you know, to introduce my kids to, mm. you know, and, and I remember when my kids were little and you were talking about making mud pies at the beginning and yeah. they'd come in the back door and you'd think, oh, you know, where are the towels and don't touch, you know, yeah. and then, but then you had to, uh, you had to let it go. It's like when my mm -hmm. son wanted to draw on his bedroom walls, he's an artist. I was like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, good and enough. Part of you is like, oh, you know, you <laughs> wanted to, to, but to be at ease with yourself mm -hmm. and let those things, because time is so fleeting, you yes. know, and, and my kids have grown up so fast. And if I had stopped all that so that they didn't touch the walls on the way upstairs to wash their muddy hands, yeah. Um, you know, to allow them to explore and to be curious and to go out and do that with them. Yes. We talked about quarantine a little bit and the garden, you know, a lot of people are having gardens in their yards, um, but to get your kids involved in the excitement of that, right. like you were saying, the, the, the wonder of the seed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. look, you know, here we are in August and the bounty, you know, I have so many tomatoes. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> Oh, I wish I looked close to you. <laughs> I, I overplanted. I got a little too excited about the tomato. But, yeah. But anyway, I feel like mm -hmm. it, it's it's a responsibility of a parent, perhaps, or a right. guardian to, yes. to peek and allow that curiosity that's mm -hmm. so natural to children. Yes. yes. You know, another thing I think besides the seed, I think is, is creatures. Um, you know, I remember walking one time, I was going for a walk and I was crossing a little bridge and there was a spider on the railing and this little girl, well, she wasn't too small. I'd say she was about 11, 10 maybe. And she just reached up with her foot and just smashed that spider. And her dad said, oh, honey, you shouldn't do that. And then they walked on and I thought, that would have been a perfect time for that dad to stop and say, do you know how helpful spiders are? You know, um, and, and I think her response was, she says, oh, yeah, I don't like spiders, you know, but if he has to stop to say, you know, 
they might scare you, but you know, look, the spiders take care of a lot of other bugs that might bite you. And, you know, and to talk about the wonder of a spider, how they spider spin a web. And I mean, it was an opportune time for teaching, but you know, none of that happened. And, uh, and I think, you know, kids are fascinated with worms and bugs and that I think it's great, you know, let them, let them have that, you know, yeah. <laughs> so. It's what a teachable, a lost teachable moment about yeah. sort of that connectedness that you were talking about, sort of that. Um, yeah. yeah. So Joyce, when did poetry become a way for you to express your experiences of the cosmic dance of uh, nature uh, and the world? Yeah, yeah. Well, that goes pretty far back to, um, I started writing poetry, I think maybe I was like late teens, probably 18 or so. And poetry first began for me just as a because I was reading a lot of poetry Robert Frost was one of my first ones and William Wordsworth all the nature people liked a lot and anyway but I started writing poetry really to get in touch with you know as a young person you're sorting everything out and and so I first was doing it to kind of sort out stuff for myself and then and then I started connecting with the outer world and the inner world you know and I started just I discovered that Poetry was a way for me to um, to find hope and courage and just a lot of wisdom. You know, I would look at a birch tree and the bark peeling off, and I'd think, oh, you know, things in my life have to get off. I have to let go of, you know. Or um, I'd see the migration of geese, and I'd think, oh yeah, you know, something in me also has to go with the seasons and. And so, so that began to happen that way. And, um, and, and I love poetry because I think so much can be said in a small space if you're a really good writer and it can evoke so much in the other person. And I've often said the deeper down we go, the more alike we are than different. And, and so I think that's why people have often said to me, readers have said, you know, it's like you're in my kitchen talking to me. And I would just say, you know, that's because I try to go to a deep enough place where we're, we have a commonness, you know, in what we experience. Um, so, so that's kind of how I got started with poetry. And, and you know, I, I was so grateful to be able to publish The Cosmic Dance because when I did publish that, um, I have quite a bit of poetry in it, you know, and poetry quote doesn't sell as well as prose does. And so I was so grateful to the publisher that, you know, they believed in the book and, and, and wanted to, cause it's kind of a balance of prose and poetry both. And, and um, that I have uh, poetry always, I think I would say has been my favorite way to write. Um, but most of my writing has been more prose form. Yeah. Uh, so well, I, I personally have enjoyed it and I've, I've always loved myself wise words from great thinkers and, you know, was very attracted to, to that as a kid also. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, probably why I related so much to this particular book. Um, how does it make you feel um, that your words have delighted so many people? Uh, you know, um, I have to say that I don't think about that very much. I do get a lot of positive responses during the week from people and, and I'm always grateful, always grateful for it. But kind of my image is I receive it and then I just, I just let it go because I know that this is bigger than me. And I know that this didn't come just from me and that I'm part of 
and part of a whole process. And I've just, I've been given what I've been given to share it. And, um, and I'm just really grateful for that. I've met some wonderful people because of, um, through, through the readers, you know, that, that I've met and, uh, and that, and that's been really good, but I would say just gratitude and, and humility, really. And I, I was going to say hum, humility was the word that came to my mind and yes. that's such a gracious uh, response and, and a good reminder to all of us, sort of that's the, the ego side of it. I'm not hearing any of that. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, but, but just such a healthy response because it's a gift. Yeah. And you've been blessed with this beautiful gift and you, I'm sure, you know, I've heard this quote many times. I don't know the exact quote, but it says we plant the seeds of the trees whose shade we, we may never see or something. Yeah. Like that. And yeah. I love that because yeah. it reminds me with my work too, is that I don't, I'm doing it just because it's, it's a calling and I feel right. blessed mm -hmm. that God has given a gift and then it just is out there and, you know, you may never know, um, you know, how many people it has touched, but you're open to being used as a vessel for it. Yes. And you're not you. holding on to it, if that makes sense. Thank you. I, I do that. And I do believe that, you know, I don't, I don't have a theology where God has every single step planned out for us. I think we're put on this path, but at the same time, I also think that we have a certain destiny and that is in the sense we've been given gifts and, and to use them. And I've often used the image. I said, you know, I, sometimes I think that writers are over praised or something because, you know, my brother raises corn and oats and soybeans and, you know, he, he has those gifts and, and he produces something too. And, and, and that's just as valuable. It's nourishing and feeding other people. And, and he doesn't know the people that are going to be fed by it, you know, any more than I think a writer knows, you know, or, 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 you know, who's going to listen to your, your podcast and, and so I think we each do our life the best we can do it. And, and we say, thank you that I'm able to do this, you know, and we do it as generously as possible. And I like, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a good reminder. Cause I have a brother who has uh, a dairy farm and makes mm -hmm. cheese and oh, it's yeah. very, it's very popular and, and all that, but you're right. You know, some of us are more visible than others, but we all, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you you believe along these lines, um, or this resonates with you, but I'm constantly presented with invitations Yes. Mm -hmm. to, to press on or to go forward. You know, I was mm -hmm. having lunch with my brother and I was talking about growing my work. And he said, this was two, a couple of years ago. And he said, why don't you do a podcast? Wow. And yeah. I was like, a podcast? I don't even know. I have no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. And because I kind of, I, I thought, well, that's an invitation out of my comfort zone. Yes. Um, and, and then I felt like because I said yes, then people appeared on my path to help mm -hmm. me realize it. Do you find mm -hmm. that with your work? Exactly. I mean, that is just, I find that over and over. And I, I feel like, you know, we just take one step after another step and then we get stretched, you know, maybe we need to bend in the road. Like, I just love it when someone calls us to something like um, when I wrote the boundless compassion book, I thought that's it. You know, I had some, someone in the program that kept saying to me, you need to, you need to create a journal to go with that book. And I thought, I don't have time to do that. You know, but then she asked me again, another next year. And she said, I still think it'd be good for you. To, and finally, I thought she's not going to let me alone till I do it, you know? And so anyway, I, I she did. was the messenger. 
pleasure. <laughs> yes, and 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 it was wonderful because I, I I created it and people have been so happy to have it. And I thought, and I say I wouldn't have thought to do that, you know. And then I had to take the next steps, you know, to, like that to go ahead with it because it takes some work involved in that, like you know, just what you're talking. That's the about. stretching part. <laughs> yes, I think so. And trusting you can do it, you know. And trusting that you can be do worth it. worth doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for anybody listening, I would say when you when the invitations come, please say yes, because yeah, or at least at least listen to them. Don't just kick them out, you know, <laughs> let, yes, them, yeah. let them hang around because, you know, Jung always said, if you don't get a dreams meaning the first time, it'll come back again. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, when invitations come, if we stay awake, they're going to come again if we try to kick them out the first time, if we're meant if we're meant to go in that direction. So. Well, yeah. you accepted the invitation to come on my podcast today. So I thank you for that. And thank you so much for inviting me. So I just, it was wonderful. And like I said, it, it was good to go back and see how I have been stretched and growing and, and how much, how much I value and how grateful I am for this planet I live on. Mm -hmm. When I walk, you know, I thank the planet that I'm on. I just am so aware that I'm on this planet, this rolling planet in the universe. And I, I thank the trees. I thank the creatures. I thank the ground that I'm on. I thank my lungs that they can breathe in the air. I thank the water if it's there. And it's just, it's all one big unity and one. And I think that Joyce, that living from that place, it's like that loving kindness that you were talking about. It's like when I'm full of gratitude for all that is and not wanting more or different or something else, but really just going out and, and paying attention to that butterfly or, or yeah. all the simple things that are in the present moment on my path. It's, I, it shifts my perspective and it shifts the way that I interact with the people in my life that I love. Mm -hmm. It shifts how I interact with the guy on the highway that's annoying me. Mm -hmm. It, it changes everything. And so when I live from that grateful heart, especially in nature, it's so easy to do because it, it just appears like it's yeah. like prizes just happen. I would summarize that to say it really helps us be loving, loving human beings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's great being with you. I yeah, just, this was, this was so wonderful. Generating this conversation. This is great. Um, so your favorite quote is the world around us has become an it rather than a thou, Thomas Berry. Yeah, Thomas Berry says that, you know, we really need to be a, we've been a, we've become a communion of objects instead of a communion of subjects. Yeah. And he talks about having a thou relationship with nature, which is one of respect and, and relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great note to close on. So I thank you again for your time and, and Dude, namaste. Yeah, yeah, many blessings and oh, you've been we are we are together. Time. We're together in, in spirit now. Yeah. We know that kinship. So. I'm Pam Rotelli Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.